Binge Mode Star Wars. It's presented by State Farm. You know those days when it feels like problems just pop out of nowhere? The helpful folks at State Farm do. Like a fender bender. When you are already late. Or a thief. Breaking into your home. Making off with your new flat screen TV. Or your gaming console. Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. Tatooine. Kashik. Manan. Korriban. Revan visited each of these worlds searching for clues to reveal the hidden location of the Starforge. The lure of binge mode is difficult to resist. I fear the adult content and spoilers could lead you down an all too familiar path. What greater weapon is there than to turn an enemy to your cause? To use their own knowledge against them. And now binge mode. What's the bounty on Jedi these days anyway? That's gratitude for you. Look, I get it. You've been surviving on your own for so long that it's impossible to trust anyone. And it's what's kept you alive. But this is about something bigger than just surviving. Like what? Like rebuilding the Jedi Order. Welcome to Binge Mode Star Wars, proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com. What a great website. It's fucking great. So good. Joining me today, now that he's finished collecting new skins for darling Bubby BD1. Yes. He looks great in yellow. I love changing his little skins. (laughs) I do it every time I get the chance. (laughs) Me too. It's Ringer Senior Creative. Your Jedi Master, Jason Concepcion. Mal, meet me at the Mantis, because it's time for Binge Mode Star Wars, where we're exploring the wider Star Wars universe from the Skywalker Saga films to the anthology films to the Mandalorian, plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away. Please make the journey to Braca with us by subscribing to this podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us the five-star ratings. Or we'll sick the second sister after you. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. And join our Facebook group, which is only for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to debate which Sam Witwer Star Wars character is your personal favorite. And then when you're done with that, why don't you head over to theringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch. No need to unlock this as you play. It's buy as you go. Last time on binge mode. Mm Mm-hmm. We explored every facet of Hans Olaf's Christ. God. Iconic archetype. God. <laughs> In our most recent character study. And today, we're diving deep. Deep-ish. You know, we're, it's almost more like we're skimming the surface because Absolutely. it's such a deep pool that you could dive into. It is a massive world. We're taking a little dip into Star Wars video games. That's right. Talk about a wide... Canon or not canon, my goodness. We love a wide canon. 
We love a wide oh hashtag not canon. As always, spoiler warning. We will be going deep on details from the entire Star mm-hmm. Wars saga and video game saga to date. Take an official canon and legends hashtag not canon into account. So meet us above Abo because it's time to hit the Star Forge. Jason. Yes. They say the Force can do terrible things to a mind. Can wipe away your memories. It's so true. Destroy your very identity. Absolutely. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. (laughs) So let's search our feelings and use the Force. The defining theme of this episode is immersion. Listen, I love Star Wars video games. I love them. You love them. Let's talk about our introductions to these. Yeah, give us your origin story. Well, I think the origin story, really. Well, obviously a big Star Wars fan growing up. And then so there's a mall by the house. Mm -hmm. Star Court. When my mom would take me to the mall and she would be like shopping in Filene's basement or whatever. I'd be like, I don't want to follow you around for three hours. Here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Just give me like 20 quarters, Mm -hmm. $5 with a quarter. Did you get a roll? I would get a roll. Yeah. And just set me free in the arcade. And I would go in there and I would play the original Star Wars arcade game, which is kind of like, you know, you're Luke in this kind of wireframe graphic engine and you're fighting against TIE fighters. And then eventually you go into the trench and then you try and shoot the torpedo into the vent. And I played a lot of the Return of the Jedi arcade game, which allowed you to pilot the Mm at-at across like the forest moon of Endor. And then... In what was, I think... Did you ever commit a nuclear holocaust against the Ewoks? I mean, you did because you had to fly the uh, Millennium Falcon into the deuce, (laughs) you know, avoiding the various objects as you kind of flew deeper and deeper, deeper into the base. Did you ever see the Wayfinder? And then blew it up. I did not see it. (laughs) Um, The game was a little punishing, but I thought, I mean, I remember at the time being like, this is the greatest graphics I've ever seen. And then as, you know, my gaming journey continued... I got really into shooters, so I was uh-huh. playing a lot of Republic Commando. I played a lot of the original Star Wars Battlefront. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot, a lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. I mean, that was kind yeah. of like my, at the time, I was like, the prequels are trash, but being able to play as like a battle droid is actually really, really cool. Right. And then, of course, KOTOR. But I think it it all started with the arcade games mm-hmm. for me. What about you? So, you know, in the interest of... Full disclosure, I do not have the history with Star Wars video games that you have. That's why you're a successful person. (laughs) No, listen, (laughs) follow your bliss. You know, I am am married to a person who has played, uh, logged an extraordinary number of hours playing Star Wars video games. I played them when I was a kid because I loved video games growing up. You know, I had my Nintendo at my mom's house. I had my Super Nintendo at my dad's house. What were you playing? Oh, well, you know, not to be like the most basic kid around, but I couldn't get enough of Super Mario. Three in particular was my favorite. Great one. My absolute favorite. I had my Game Boy and I loved to play Kirby on my Game Game Boy. Boy. I loved Zelda. I loved all the Nintendo games. When I eventually got an N64, that was really a, a revelatory moment in my life. And then when I was in high school, I saved up and I bought myself a PS2 at that point. And that was when I started to get really into sports gaming. So I lo- I loved playing video games yeah. as a kid. And I did occasionally play Star Wars video games. You know, I, I enjoyed playing the X-Wing and TIE Fighter games when I would hang out with some of my friends and you have people kind of getting together yeah. and you're hanging out. That was really fun for me as a kid. I never 
got into the fully immersive experience of playing a Star Wars video game until I was an adult, mm. actually, because my husband, Adam, just fucking loves them, loves them and plays them all the time. And we've had, you know, marriage is about a lot of different things. It is. A, a, among the many, it's about shared growth and uh, absolutely being able to adapt and change. Yeah. And I think one of the things we realized, you know, early in our years together is that we could not, in fact, play video games together. <laughs> too, too much strife. Just fucking madness. What did you try to play? This is fast. Super Mario Galaxy 2. Sure. For the Wii. It's a great game. Legitimately nearly ended my marriage before we were married. We were only <laughs> dating at that point. Very <laughs> <laughs> tough. Anyway, I spent many, many hours watching Adam play because I was always fascinated. He played a ton of Halo, Gears of War, everything. And I was always fascinated to watch it. And I really liked watching him play the Battlefront games in particular. Very cool. He's really partial to those. And then when I knew that we were going to be doing binge mode, I wanted to try to get into some of these, you know, checked out Battlefront 2, checking out The Force Unleashed. Obviously, familiarizing yourself with KOTOR. Mm. KOTOR 2 is an imperative part of embracing Star Wars in any capacity. And I played Fallen Order when it came out. And I played from the beginning. And it was my journey. And I fucking loved it. <laughs> I had such a truly wonderful time learning how to function as Cal bonding yeah. with BD1. Again, we issued a spoiler warning at the top, but the Vader moment it's is- That was unexpected. That, <laughs> that, was the, that was the highlight for me. That was like really cool story. The story was good. It's yeah. shorter than you think. Yes. So if you're thinking about getting into this game, it's not a huge outlay of your time. Yeah, and I, I liked that aspect of it because I felt like I was consistently making progress, but also yeah. that I was able to spend as much time as I wanted exploring the worlds and the planets are- they are actually bigger than you think. The maps are, you can spend a lot of time moving around and trying to find your crates and getting your new copper or whatever you might want for your lightsaber. But I really liked, I liked the blend of action, you know, being able to cut through all the stormtroopers with my lightsaber, but also being able to use my mind in a different way for the puzzles mm -hmm. because like there are so many different puzzle aspects and you're, you know, when you're acquiring your new force powers and you're figuring out how to spend your skill points and some of it seems really simple, the force push, force pull, but I actually liked that. That's always, you know, especially an RPG game like that where you're unlocking various abilities and then spending points within the system. It's very easy to immediately, for me, Google, like, what is the best build for mm -hmm. Kestis? Like, what are the best? How do you approach that kind of, like, leveling process? It kind of depends on each game and each character and like what the context is. So for this game, for Fallen Order with Cal and like with BD, mm -hmm. because you're unlocking things for him as well, I wanted to just kind of experience it organically. Like each new poncho really felt like it was mine. I mean, some <laughs> of the ponchos are very nice. I love the poncho. I change my poncho every chance I get to change. I change it all the time. Yeah. I ended up going with more of the kind of pared down I didn't like all the extra fabric, ultimately. I like that. I like the kind of cowboyish vibe of some of the kind of stripey ones. So I I, yeah. I really went for it. I like those. But, you know, I want to be able mostly to experience it on my own and not have to 
check the internet for the clues and the guidance, but there's like a safety blanket aspect, a comfort factor of knowing that that's there if you need it. So, you know, a couple of the maps, like trying to figure out how much was essential to explore because I had a lot of anxiety about that as I was playing. Like, what am I missing and what's okay to miss? When is it okay to push forward? And when is this something that I need to go back to? And especially because once you reach whichever vault or hollow message that you need to find, you have to then make your way back to the Mantis, back to your ship, which requires parsing a whole new swath of the map. That stymied me for a a significant portion of time. Yeah. Also because I don't know if it's just the way I process like visuals. Mm -hmm. Navigating the hollow map, it was hard for me. I struggled with that Because it's like so much of it is see-through. Yeah. And so it's hard to parse like what level is what level, which levels connect, which paths that move between levels actually connect. And so then I would just stop using it and just be like, well, I'm just going to free run and explore. And that was when in the game kind of opened up more for me. Yeah. I like that aspect of just being able to really explore. And I think that gets us into just more broadly beyond, you know, our own personal experience. So I'm sure we'll inject that into the discussion. What the appeal of Star Wars video games is, and obviously this varies person to person. It varies title to title. It varies based on the type of Mm -hmm. game you're playing. Is it an RPG? Is it a shooter? But there are certain touchstones, certain umbrellas from which a lot of the reign of joy <laughs> flows. One of the central appeals is the world-building aspect. Yes. The way that these games, in some fashion, tap into something that you already love. Yeah. And, and again, if, uh, you know, no assumptions about how what order you came to this in. Maybe you discovered the games first mm-hmm. before the movies. And now, of course, we're in a Disney Plus era, and there are yeah. going to be all sorts of different ways that people are coming to the story. But... It's tapping into something about a world that you probably already love. Maybe you're going to be playing a game that actually has some of the characters from the films that you love. But maybe it's entirely new, injecting new characters, new ideas, new planets. You're going to have a game where you can go to Tatooine or Dathomir. Yeah. But you're also going to check out Zepho, right? New creatures. Creatures are one of the best parts of Star Wars. The flora, the fauna. Yes. All these different bits of organic matter and tech. Why does the world? How did you take to the fact that you really have to slaughter a significant amount of creatures? That was in, tough in for me. Fallen Order. I, I did just not, thinking about I, you the yeah. whole time. I did not love that part. And you, you actually have to. You ha- There's no way around it. You have to kill them. You have to kill. And them. not only that, very upsetting. You dismember them. Yeah, you slice them in, in half. graphic fashion, which I kind of like. I'm fine with. I get it. I just. Don't understand why I am not also able to then dismember the, the stormtroopers. I felt this way as well. It's I, very satisfying when you can deflect the blaster bolt right that. back at the stormtrooper. That feels very true to the canon. This idea that the stormtroopers ultimately go down like punks. So some of them are hard to kill. But yeah, kill, having to kill the animals was really tough for me. And then especially when you're grappling with when you reach a meditation circle and you have the option to rest refuel, recharge, but what happens? You, your enemies respawn yes. and then you have to kill them all again. Very tough. It's very, very tough. <laughs> very tough. But that general sense of being able to explore the world is obviously one of the that's my, that's what key I, pillars of a video game absolutely. Star Wars experience. You just get to spend all of this time doing the thing that when you're sitting there watching the movie, you wish you were able to do. I, I wish I could just turn left when the camera panned right. Yeah, like that is absolutely the appeal of games like Rogue Squadron and TIE Fighter, X-Wing. When I first started playing Battlefront, and this was, I think, Xbox or PS2, the fact that you're able to fight in like 
a Kaminoan facility looking down the hallway at the clone troopers who, and you're playing as the droids, let's say. Mm-hmm. And the way, you know, my blaster bolts would look when they hit the side of the hallway and sparks would fly and the incredible sound yeah. design. I would just like shoot at stuff. Totally. I would find myself, because like th- that game, the thing that I really loved about it was it, you're talking about like mass, like for the time, pretty big battles, right. like 16 versus 16 battles. So you, it looked pretty populated. And I'm like, man, this is it. I'm fighting in the galactic civil war. This is what I've always wanted. Right. I'm just like, I don't even care. I'm just like shooting at anything. I'm just shooting at stuff. I'm not even aiming. I'm just like shooting down a hallway as dozens of laser bolts are flying in every direction. And I would just like stare at this and immerse myself in the sensory input and just be like, this is it. As a Star Wars fan, this is the culmination of so many of my dreams. Totally. And I mean, that obviously applies to the appeal of fantasy storytelling in general is what, what would it be like to be able to really inhabit that world? And with Star Wars in particular, you want to know what it feels like to swing a lightsaber. You want to know what it feels like to shoot a blaster. You want to know what it feels like to pilot an X-Wing or any number of other ships. You want to know what it feels like to set foot down on a new planet and peek around the edge of a cliff and discover a new life form that you've never seen before. And much like the appeal of so much of the EU, now Legends, and the television shows, part of what is so rewarding about those as a Star Wars fan is that, you know, obviously the, the primary films are the heartbeat of Star Wars, but you don't get to linger. Yeah. You don't get to put your hands on it and touch it and feel it. And while the propulsive, like, jet engine force of the movies is unlike anything and is a, a thing that you can't replicate, and it's why it's such a quintessential part of the Star Wars experience and like part of the germ of the DNA of so much fandom, getting to just spend like 40 hours <laughs> walking around these planets and befriending or fighting these different beings is one of the best ways that you can actually attempt to put yourself into the world that you spent so much time watching and thinking about. Yeah, uh, KOTOR really changed things for me because yes. at, at the time when that came out, I was a shooter person. I wanted like frenetic action. I didn't really like platformers. I play a little bit of real-time strategy, but I was mostly like, you know, Halo, Counter-Strike, Rainbow Six, that kind of like gameplay experience. And then KOTOR was just like so highly reviewed. I think I bought the Game of the Year edition. So like everything had already happened. Like, and they were releasing the Game of the Year edition. Yeah, but then the fact that it actually meets the hype is part of the thrill of it. It it was like, and it was, I want to say, it had to be my first experience with a turn-based system, which Mm -hmm. I was not used to. Mm -hmm. But the writing was so good. Like I was used to kind of like creating this character on the fly through my actions within a multiplayer experience. And this was like so well-written and the universe felt so lived in and immersive. Like sometimes you just walk around it and look at it. It it was amazing. And it really kind of put Bioware, the company on the map for Mm -hmm. me as as a company that would be like, oh, they have another. And now they have Jade Empire out. I'll check that out because like KOTOR was amazing. Right Now Mass Effect, I'll check that out because like I know that they've created this – incredible world with incredible dialogue. Just one of the great experiences. And like, to your point, the kind of game where you just are like, man, I think I've been playing this for six or seven hours straight. Totally. Yeah. I mean, KOTOR is probably, and and KOTOR 2, probably the best games for thinking about 
control. Yeah. The idea of agency and control and the way that you have to reconcile with the yeah. fact, but also get to enjoy the fact that the decisions that you're making and that's a great matter. That's the it. choices that you're making matter. You're okay. not a passenger. But you that's it. are the acting agent. Part of the appeal in a way of video games is like you can make these weighty choices between life and death, but it's not actually life and death. It doesn't matter. But then what KOTOR did was- Makes you realize it does. Imbue these choices yeah. with tremendous weight and meaning. And, you know, do you want to go light or dark? What do you want right. to do? How do you want to treat people? And it was just like really, really cool where I'd sit there and like agonize over choices. Not used to that. <gasps> and to experience that in games is really an, an amazing thing. When you When a game is- immersive enough to take you to a place where mm -hmm. you just are sitting there feeling the weight and responsibility of a different character's life. Yes. Uh, that is an amazing thing. And the the characters are another thing to talk about because the iconic character list from just KOTOR alone is long enough to populate a bazillion wiki pages, whether you're talking about Revan or HK or any of the other characters, forming a new connection. Mm -hmm is one of the great thrills of playing a Star Wars video <laughs> game. And again, of course, some of the games have the recognizable characters who were already attached to from the other properties. But that balance between working within an established archetype, the smuggler, the rogue, yeah. the Jedi, the Sith, someone who is struggling with the balance and which side to turn to, a droid, any number of other things on and on the list goes, it's familiar and it's recognizable, but there's just this vast constellation of utterly unique creations. And Star Wars fans feel as passionately about some of the most iconic video game characters as they feel about any Star Wars character, period. And that's an incredible achievement. Yeah, agreed. And then there's the genre variants. There is absolutely something for everyone. And oh, then there yeah. are many somethings, ultimately, for everyone. You know, what kind of vibe are you looking for? How are you looking to spend your time? It's almost like, you know, what kind of strain do you want? <laughs> it's, it's very true. Right? You, what, what vibe are you looking for tonight? Do you want action? Do you want to shoot? Great. We've got that for you. Do you want to fly a spacecraft? Great. We've got that for you. What about like a StarCraft Age of Empires kind of empire unit building strategy game. Great, we've got that for you. It's a immense variance of titles. I mean, when we were doing research for this, uh -huh. it's like, it actually boggles the mind how many Star Wars video games there are. It's amazing. It's like wild. I know. Do you want something family friendly? Do yeah. you want to play a Lego game? Do you want unvarnished grit and violence? Oh, yeah. Do you want to feel and think about the dark side? Do you want to enjoy yes. something a little more effervescent and light? Like you have every sort of option and every sort of style. And I think especially in, right now in a moment in Star Wars where we spend so much time thinking about how cool it is that the anthology era and the TV show era, you know, the Cassian show, it feels like it's going to be a spy thriller, yeah. right? Like we talk all the time about the, the genre variants in the films and the shows and that is applied on a really massive scale in the gaming enterprise. And again, when you couple that with something like the just time spent metric, yeah. if you want one thing, you can have that one thing for as long as you want it. And then you connect that to, again, like something like the KOTOR decision-making tree. Well, you can get a different experience within the experience that you already wanted and had if you return to it and make different choices and try something new again, and then you want something totally different next weekend, you can find it. You want to play with friends? You want to play alone? 
which system do you want to use? Do you want to be out in public? Do you want to be at home? <laughs> do you want to be on the move? Like you have all of it. And one of the things that is essential to the fantasy storytelling process is being able to feel like you don't have to leave the world. Like that's safe. That's a great point. And Star Wars video games allow you to have it with you all the time. And it's a really precious, awesome thing. I mean, I'm still regularly playing Battlefront 2. They're releasing content for it. They're releasing maps for it. They have new, new characters for it. I'm consistently running away from Darth Sidious as leveled up characters chase me across the world and electrocute me with force powers. And I'm enjoying it. It's wonderful. Still. <laughs> It is one of the most disheartening things when you are running, charging across a map or in the belly of some spacecraft and you look at your little mini map and you see the hollow circle, which denotes that one of the enemy players is playing as fucking Kylo Ren or like or, or who the fuck ever General Grievous. And you're like. Do I even have time to turn around and run away from this character? I, I really don't. And next thing you know, you're just dead because General Grievous has sliced you into a million pieces. The good news is, though, I'm not sure if you've heard, the dead speak. So that's fine. <laughs> Jason, you cannot disguise yourself from me. Oh! Jedi! Jedi! But maybe LucasArts could have helped you. Well, Once so. upon a time. Once upon that, no longer. So please gather the Padawan learners. Head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about LucasArts. Lucasfilm Games, later to be known as LucasArts, was founded in May 1982, one year to the month before Return of the Jedi hit theaters. It seemed like a great time to get into the industry. That year, coin-operated video games generated $8 billion in revenue. Seems like a Which lot. is a staggering sum for the time. $21.3 billion in today's dollars. What does that translate to in <laughs> calamari flan, my was, favorite currency? It's like three stacks of delicious calamari <laughs> flan. <laughs> Delightful calamari flan. Sweet. Mm. With a wonderful a kind of like little chewy texture, but not too <laughs> chewy. Love them. And that number was trending upwards. Console video games, the Atari among them in television, consoles hitting the market. Console video games were thriving as well. And they had generated an estimated $3.2 billion in 1983 dollars. But by 1985, that number had fallen to $100 million. This was the environment in which Lucasfilm Games was operating. And just to make things more challenging... Lucasfilm Games could not even develop official Star Wars video games at the time. The license to do that was held by Atari. The great video game crash of 1983 can reasonably be described, and this is a stretch about as long as E.T.'s neck, as Steven Spielberg's fault. Atari, thinking the gold rush to be on, had produced mountains of cartridges for titles which it thought would sell like gangbusters, and they did not. The most egregiously destructive bomb was E.T., the extraterrestrial, the official game adaption of Steven Spielberg's hit film. So many of these little square plastic coffins sat gathering dust in Atari's warehouse, unbought and unloved, that the decision was made to bury them in the desert. Wow. <laughs> 
One, this was once thought to be an urban legend, and then uh, there's a documentary, I believe still on Netflix, in which you can watch them dig in the desert and dig up these cartridges. Retail outlets had stopped carrying games and game-associated merchandise and consoles. Video games, it was popular to think at the time, were a fad, a hula hoop for the modern day. These challenges counterintuitively freed Lucasfilm games. With few major developers in the space, the lane to borrow a basketball term was open. The lack of access to the Star Wars license meant they weren't constrained by existing IP. And there was less pressure to live up to the lofty expectations that would come with the title. And their parent company, no small thing, was flush with cash. The programmers and developers at Lucasfilm Games could let their imaginations run wild. I'd say that the people that came to Lucasfilm Games, or the reasons we ended up here, David Fox, a game designer and author and a founding member of Lucasfilm Games, told U.S. gamers Jazz Rignall in 2014, are because we were all very much impressed with the type of work that George Lucas did with his films, and we appreciate film-type experience. Fox continues in the interview. We really want to get someone feeling like they're in a new universe and to create an experience of exploring a new universe. It's the sort of thing that happens in a George Lucas film. It's like you've been transported to somewhere else. Now, that is soaring and wildly idealistic Silicon Valley-type rhetoric. So to bring it down a notch, let us note that according to Rignall, who interviewed five original members of the Lucasfilm Games team, including Fox, Steve Arnold, the company's former GM, Peter Langston, the company's very first employee, among others, that George Lucas created the company to avoid paying taxes. <laughs> From the article. Lucasfilm Games was actually set up so that the parent company could avoid paying the massive tax penalties it incurred due to the vast amount of revenue generated by the Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises. By investing in his own company, Lucas could dodge those fees, so he created Lucasfilm Games and the Lucasfilm Computer Division. We've always said he's an innovator. And an absolute innovator. <laughs> And all of a sudden, the crawl of episode one makes much more sense. (laughs) (laughs) The company first made its mark with adventure games, two-dimensional point-and-click affairs that were popular in the pre-CD-ROM gaming era. Lucasfilm Games' first licensed adventure offering was an adaption of Labyrinth. The 1986 Jim Henson film produced by Lucasfilm Productions and executive produced by George Lucas. Do you like Labyrinth? Mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Crushing it in <laughs> that. Fave. The beginning of her dominance of my personal power rankings. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a hell of a run for Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> its first adaption of a major Lucasfilm property was 1989's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was released at the same time as the film. It was a critical and commercial hit, becoming the best-selling Lucasfilm game at the time. Soon after, Lucasfilm restructured. And Lucasfilm Games became LucasArts, the brand by which it is most popularly known. The early 90s was the golden era of the LucasArts pre-Star Wars history with sequels to Monkey Island, Maniac Mansion, Indiana Jones, and original titles Full Throttle and The Dig. Perhaps most crucial for the company's evolution, the early 90s saw LucasArts delve into combat flight simulators, mostly set in a World War II milieu like P-38 Lightning and Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe, this experience would be important for the return of a certain license of a certain fictional property, which heavily features dogfights in space. (laughs) A long time ago, 
sometime in the early 90s. It's very hard to pin down where, but it's clear that it happened because this company began releasing Star Wars games. LucasArts acquired the license to produce official Star Wars games. In 1991, LucasArts, in association with several other studios, including Capcom, Ubisoft, and JVC, published Star Wars for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And other Star Wars games would quickly follow. And then in 1993, Star Wars X-Wing. X-Wing put players in control of the titular and iconic Rebel Alliance fighter craft, along with the A-Wing, the Y-Wing, and as an expansion, the B-Wing. Players took part in 3D-rendered space battles across various missions ripped from the films against computer-controlled Imperial enemies. And it was, frankly, everything Star Wars fans had been dreaming of since the film series debuted in 1977, and accordingly, it was an absolute hit. Games sold out in its initial launch in February 1993 and earned numerous plaudits, including Best Game of the Year and Best Simulation of the Year from Computer Gaming World. Perhaps more importantly, the game spawned a sequel, which in Godfather 2-like fashion managed to surpass its impressive originator. 1994 Star Wars TIE Fighter was the aesthetic reverse of X-Wing, placing players at the controls of Imperial craft during the events of The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and it was a mega smash critically and commercially. The game is regarded not only as among the greatest Star Wars games ever, but one of the greatest games of all time. IGN placed it at number two on its top PC games of all time in 2009. 1995 Star Wars Dark Forces is LucasArts' first first-person shooter and introduced players to the iconic and pioneering character Kyle Katarn, a former stormtrooper turned mercenary working on behalf of the Rebellion. The character quickly became a fan favorite and is a possible inspiration for another Force-sensitive stormtrooper-turned-hero, Finn. Mm-hmm. Its sequel, 1997 Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2, improved on the formula by giving players the opportunity to wield a lightsaber and access Force powers in single-player and online multiplayer. 1998 saw the release of Star Wars Rogue Squadron, a kind of more adventure cartoony, flying adventure game based on the comic series of the same name. If you were a Star Wars fan and you owned or had access to a Nintendo 64 console, you played a lot of Rogue yes. Squadron, period. I miss the N64 days. I, Some I, of my favorite gaming days. Absolutely. The, here's the thing I remember at N64. I didn't have one. Mm. I wanted one. Mm. My friends had one. Yeah. And even people that I didn't actually consider my friends had one, but I would go over their houses specifically to yeah. play GoldenEye, Rogue Squadron, <laughs> among others. Played a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of Rogue Squadron. The game spawned two sequels, Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader, and Rogue Squadron 3, Rebel Strike, along with 2000's Star Wars Episode One: The Battle for Naboo, which is essentially a successor to Rogue Squadron and all that name. Kyle Katarn returns in 2002 Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast, considered by many to be among the best Star Wars games ever. In 2007, GameTrailers.com put it at the top of its Star Wars games of all time power ranking. In 2003, LucasArts, in collaboration with Canadian developer Bioware, produced the absolutely pioneering turn-based RPG Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Set 4,000 years before the events of the prequels, the game allows players to create and control a character who, in various adventures across the galaxy, faces off against the Sith, the Jedi, and a homicidal droid named HK-47, winner of numerous Game of the Year awards. KOTOR is considered rightly by many to be the greatest Star Wars game ever. Yes. And, and an ideal example of how to use 
not just the Star Wars IP, but established IP in general. This is how you do it creatively. This is how you do it innovatively. This is how you create memorable characters within an existing universe. Various Star Wars games followed in the 2000s, including Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2, which I played the S out of, the shit out of. I don't know why I'm not cursing. Suddenly we can't Suddenly I'm not cursing. (laughs) Which I played the absolute shit out of. A third and first person (laughs) multiplayer online shooter ripped from the original and prequel trilogies. My husband was playing Battlefront 2 last night and I I couldn't help but notice that Han is not handsome enough. He looks pretty good. Mm. He's in that stance though too. The pose is right. The Han pose is right. Star Wars Empire at War, which is basically a kind of reskin version of the hit real-time strategy game Age of Empires, KOTOR 2, and many more. And then 2013, after the Disney acquisition, LucasArts was shuttered, and numerous unfinished projects were canceled. Soon after, the license to produce official Star Wars games for consoles and PC, with the exception of mobile, was sold to Electronic Arts, which holds it to this day. R.I.P. to LucasArts. R.I.P. LucasArts. Great run. A really incredible run. Return, Riru, after word from our sponsors. Binge One Star Wars is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once. Like a fender bender. When you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents today. Via text, over the phone, in person, or using the State Farm app. Find one today at statefarm.com. And now, back to binge mode. Mal, yeah. to be united by hatred is a fragile alliance at best. Let's roll like BB-8 through eight of the most essential Star Wars video game characters, lightning ground style, and with a little help from our favorite modder, Ben Lindbergh! Folks, woo! It is an honor and dare I say a privilege. That's right. To tell you that joining us right now is our I think we're his padawans in this instance. He's For our sure. master. <laughs> our secretly jacked master? I mean, you want to reveal that that's who your tweet was about? <laughs> Look, luminous beings are we, not this only <laughs> Only only for Binge Mode fans. That's right. Only for our audience can we reveal now <laughs> that the secretly jacked member of the ringer is our guest, Ben Lindbergh. The great Ben Lindbergh. Hi, guys. Ben, we hope that you don't slaughter us like Anakin and the younglings who are <laughs> animals. Down. No, I'm I'm thrilled to be called upon to talk about one of my favorite topics. I I just wish I could go back 20 years and tell my mom that she should not make me turn off the computer to practice the piano because all that time she thought I was wasting on Star Wars video games would someday make me more valuable to the ringer.com. I love it. Yeah, but you haven't spent enough time thinking about the piano podcast that you and Isaac and Jason <laughs> might do one day. So it's all going to be useful. Think of it that That's way. So many marketable skills. Ben, we have so much to get to right now. And you are going to be our guide on this particular aspect of this particular journey. We're going to talk about the eight essential Star Wars video game characters. And obviously, there are myriad options here, a constellation as as vast as the galaxy itself. Yes. Hard to pick eight. 
We're going to try, and part of our strategy for having you on is that you're an expert. You have great passion for this, great expertise. Part of the strategy is that now people will blame you instead of us (laughs) for the omissions, okay? So before we get into the actual list, walk us through the overview of how we are conceptualizing what essential means and how we are crafting this eight today. Yeah, so we're talking about decades of history here, so we can't cover everything. And many Star Wars games will just retrace the steps of the movies or Mm -hmm. focus on action at the expense of story and character. But Mm -hmm. the best Star Wars video game characters, I think, stand up to anything else in the expanded universe, certainly. And because of the interactive nature of the games themselves, I think it allows for a close identification with the characters because you are controlling them. And a lot of character depth when done well, because video games are really long. I don't know if you know that, but sometimes (laughs) they are. So this is not necessarily a list of our favorite characters, although there's a lot of overlap there. But Mm -hmm. we're looking for characters who stand out from the pack because of their originality or their popularity or their legacy. So we tried to make this more than just a list of the most essential KOTOR characters, even (laughs) though we could. (laughs) (laughs) Several KOTOR characters have strong cases for inclusion here. But even if we don't mention your favorite KOTOR character, we probably like that character, too. We just didn't have time to talk about them. So you can tweet at me and leave Mal and Jason alone. Yeah. Send your tweets at Ben. We love your tweets. Yes. (laughs) Tweet away, (laughs) folks. I should mention only one of these characters is a a recent addition Mm -hmm. to the the canon or non-canon. But just to reiterate, beware of spoilers because we will be spoiling. Yes. Binge mode contains spoilers. You all know it, but we'll say it again. All right. Let's start with number eight. We're going to count down. Okay, so this is a a bit of a deeper pull here, I think. Uh This is, I'm starting off with Boss, also known as RC1138. Uh Real hipster pick from you, right off the bat. Yeah, it kind of is, it kind of is, but I never miss a chance to praise Republic Commando, which is uh, one of my favorite unsung or less sung Star Wars games. And so Boss technically first appeared in Republic Commando Hard Contact, which is Uh a a tie-in book that came out shortly before the game did. But his full name, he was called Boss, but the, the 1138 part wasn't revealed until the game. And that's obviously one of many references in Star Wars to George uh-huh. Lucas's first film. So Boss leads Delta Squad, which yeah. is a, an elite four-person special forces unit. It's trained by Mandalorian mercenaries, and it plays a, a pretty critical role in the Battle of Geonosis and later on Kashyyyk. And Boss has this distinctive orange armor. He's sort of a a basic, just all business badass who just scores high on everything in his training. He's pretty terse, but he he cares about his brothers. He has that camaraderie and he has their respect. And he's voiced by Tamara Morrison, who played Django Fed and various Uh clone troopers in the prequels. And in the books and in what was supposed to be a sequel to the game that was canceled, Delta Squad goes on to become part of Darth Vader's 501st Legion and mm. is tasked with hunting down Jedi and Jedi sympathizers. But, but we won't talk about that. He was, <laughs> he was just, just following orders. So they do feel we won't bad hold it against them. Yeah. <laughs> Some of my favorite cartoon Obi-Wan contemplative facial expression God, work occurs in Witches of the Mist, the, uh-huh. the boss Delta Squad Clone Wars episode. He really just furrows that brow oh, and twitches that beard <laughs> in all the ways that I love so oh, much. And, you know, that's now how I think of boss and Delta Squad. Yeah. How Obi-Wan looks people. while talking to them. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how I feel about boss. So I think he he has a, a legacy in Star Wars because, mm-hmm. I mean, A, as you just noted, he is canon because yes. 
Dave Filoni, who's always looking to salvage things from the former expanded universe, he brought Boss and Delta Squad into that season three Clone Wars episode. And they got their own action figures, which is a, a status that not Absolutely. many video game characters have attained. And Republic Commando is is really unique among Star Wars games. Yeah. It's it's very violent. It's gritty. It's mm-hmm. tactical. It's a squad based first person shooter. It's like Rainbow Six meets Star Wars, and it gave us what at the time, two thousand five, was a kind of a unique look at the Clone Wars that focused on the troops rather than the Jedi. It's just it's the story of the grunts in this galactic conflict. So. It helped humanize the clones and portrayed them, A, as highly effective warriors, and B, as people with distinct right. personalities rather than just interchangeable cannon fodder. So Boss and, and this game are kind of a precursor to the longer, richer looks at clone life that we got a few years later in the Clone Wars. I played this game a lot. This was, you know, kind of the age of Halo and Rainbow Six, as you right. mentioned. And I think the cool thing about it was kind of unique for a console shooter at the time was that you could give squad orders. Yes. So you're playing with three other computer-controlled warriors, and you could have them, you know, post up over here and set up a crossfire. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a really, really, really cool game. Yeah. Man, they each re- had remake that game. Distinctive <laughs> personalities and yes. skill sets, and you could deploy them to do various tasks. So, yeah, it's a great game. I wish it had gotten a sequel. Maybe it still will. Yeah. Yeah, maybe one day. The The action figure thing feels like it's a small little nugget, but we all know that in Star Wars, the true signifier of your worth <laughs> is whether there's merch. Yes. Hey, yes. cash in on you. Capitalistic <laughs> enterprise springing up around you. So that's yeah. actually a, a huge deal. And, you know, to the point you made about helping to humanize the clones, that, that really is, for me, I think the coolest mm-hmm. thing about this character, because it's one of the things that I love the most about the Clone Wars TV show and about... Whether it's in Legends or in the primary canon now, diving beyond the primary films into any other aspect of the canon or the story or the world that you choose to explore, getting to see those personalities and understand that the thing that is in some ways in a two-hour, two-hour, 20-minute snippet presented as this blank slate that is there specifically so you or someone can cut through it without thinking about it is actually a living, breathing being with agency and action figures. And yeah. action figures, exactly. <laughs> and intent and, and and designs. And I love getting, especially in, in the video game realm, where part of what is appealing about it is that you are fully immersed in that experience and you are connecting to the characters and you feel a direct stake in what happens to them because you are them or you're next to them. Thinking about the clones as people is just really rewarding and I think expands the world in a, a very fulfilling way. I agree. Bring back boss. Yes. <laughs> let's right. talk about number seven, who... I think this is... A- listen, let's just say it. <laughs> this is correct. This recency is correct. bias, I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, no, no. It, okay? Recency bias aside, this is correct. Only going to rise up the ranks from here. This is just yes. the beginning. Yes. BD1. The Body. breakout star of Star Wars Jedi <laughs> Fallen Order, which came out late last year. Yeah. He is, I mean, he is the droid of the Disney era, I'll say. Maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. Wow. There are some great droids. I mean, but... this is a, this <laughs> this is is a BB-8 big... podcast, so yeah. that's quite a take, but this is also a BD-1 podcast. Right. So he's this 
tiny bipedal exploration droid. He he has a head that looks like binoculars, and he accompanies the <laughs> protagonist of the game, Cal Kestis, and he sort of perches like a parrot on his shoulders yes, throughout he the does. game. He surely he does. Previously belonged to Jedi Master Eno Cordova, who's kind of this scholar figure, and Cordova left a trail for Cal and his companions to follow. And yes, BD1 in very you dark do that. vaults. Yes. yes. <laughs> Turn on <laughs> he the made it very difficult lights. to follow his trail for whatever reason. So BD <laughs> is just essential to Cal's quest. He he slices equipment. He reveals hidden information. He heals him. He defends him fiercely, physically. He, at one point, and this is a spoiler, he attacks Darth Vader. He takes on yes. Darth Incredible Vader. Incredible moment. Head on. Shocking. Shocks him. Shocks him. Literally, literally shocking. shocking moment. <laughs> <laughs> he can be upgraded throughout the game, and there's just a really close bond between BD and the player, because the player can press a button yes. to make Cal talk to him at any time and get hints, and his voice, which is sort of a, a standard mixture of whistles and bloops and mm-hmm. bleeps, was designed by the, the legendary Star Wars soundman Ben Burt and his appearance and his personality were partly inspired by Snoopy and Woodstock, as well as one of the game designer's dogs. So he has uh, <laughs> very much a, a pet energy, and you just you feel really strongly connected to him by the end of the game. And whenever he's in danger, it's like a protect BD1 situation. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Protect BD1 at all costs. He... Just in terms of his, you know, you describe that binocular-like aspect to his eyes and his mm. face. He he reminds me of Wally. Yes. He do, yeah, he does have a Wally. He has like a, such a sweet yeah. little Wally face. And I think that, you know, I am so fond of Wally that the second I saw him in the marketing for the game, before even playing the game, I was in love. I was <laughs> smitten because of the association and the fondness in my heart that instantly just seeing him recalled. And... We can talk about this more as we get to the kind of instant legacy of the character, but I'll just speak to my personal experience for a second here. You know, I don't have an iota of the Star Wars video game history that you two have. This is a newer thing for me. Mm. And playing Fallen Order, BD1 is in some ways the first Star Wars video game character who I ever fell in love with. It's what it's, And that's like a special bond in your life. <laughs> It's yeah. like really meaningful to me. There are almost 200 Star Wars video games. So it's, it's, so it's, not, it's not like this happens all the time, but it does happen, as, yes. we, as yeah. we can see from this Not list. every game has a, a signature breakout right. character, but But this it one does, does happen, and, and uh, BD is absolutely one of those characters. Yeah. A, so a, a rightful inclusion. Per, perhaps it's too soon to say what his legacy is or will be, but, I mean, if you liked... Zero in The Rise of Skywalker, the, the little droid J.J. Abrams plays. Just go play Fallen Order. For a brief moment when I screened the movie, <laughs> yeah. I thought that Dio was BD. They Should had it for been. a very brief moment. They're diminutive, yeah. they're yeah. squeaky, they're sweet. Ben, first of all, you are married into a Syracuse family. Yes. So you need to say Dio and Dio. show respect for the Daily Iron Share. Okay? <laughs> okay. That's how we say it here. Continue. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, BD is. is 10 times better than Dio, 100 times better than Dio. He's wow. Maybe Just the... unnecessary shots at Dio here, who <laughs> is a, a marvel in his own right, but continue. Yeah. I mean, no one even talks to Dio. They should be consulting him for more information they much sooner than they do. But, but BD is like maybe the most expressive. I don't know if he's the most adorable droid, but he's the most expressive droid in Star Wars history, I think, because of his design, because of the eyes, because of yeah. all the ways that, really that he can emote and convey yeah. emotions. and. 
this is like kind of the golden era of tiny, cute characters in Star Wars. Like we've got <laughs> really BB-8, is. we have the Porgs, we have Babu Frick, we have Baby Yoda, but yeah. BD still stands out in what has become a, a pretty crowded Star Wars space. I, I would rank him right behind Baby Yoda in the, the hierarchy mm. of cuteness because he combines <laughs> that cuteness with capableness. And yeah, yeah. His hidden depths are revealed throughout the game. So like Yoda, when Luke meets him on Dagobah, he turns out to have these hidden powers and he knows much more than he initially lets on. And, and so Cal is kind of a generic character, I think. But BD just almost single-handedly, single-droidedly elevates Fallen Order's story into pretty memorable territory. So unforgettable droid BD1. I love also, you know, especially because of the way that he is physically positioned so often in the mm-hmm. game. He's up on Cal's shoulder. Like it's he's important. kind of propped up. Real Yoda yeah, backpack very, vibes. Yes. Very Yoda backpack <laughs> No, hopefully no one is getting tetanus. You know, yeah. he's not digging the claws in quite the way that Yoda was on Dagobah. But then, like, the way he leaps off when you're supposed to go yeah. in a certain direction or he wants to show you something, it really does recall. And we've talked about this before with droids, but it recalls. A pet, you know, that companion, someone who's going to be there by your side for support and encouragement, but also to help show you the way and illuminate a new path for you. You know, I watch Shameless, so whenever I look at Cal, I just think of Ian Gallagher, which is a tough uh, a tough block for me personally to overcome. But BD was just his own invention. And, and I found that the fact that he was there to be such an immense and consistent source of comfort, mm, like yes. it's scary when you're on those new maps and especially when you realize it in this game how vast they it's, are. It's, it's large and it's it can be at times bewildering yes. to figure out where like, wow, you're going I, next. I, yes. crushed, yeah. I crushed this <laughs> yeah. planet and then I'd call up my hollow map and it's like you've seen 12% of this. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know how that happened. but It's a, it's a single player game, but it makes it feel yeah. like a co-op game because yeah. Speedy exactly. is just by your side the whole time. Exactly. And I think that it's a really emblematic example of how some of the best things that happen elsewhere in Star Wars allow for that harmony between tapping into an idea that we kind of hold as fundamental, which is that bond between an organic character and a droid, but also to establish something that is new because these are not characters that we had a connection to previously. It's it's really wonderful. Yeah. Right. All right. Number six. Yes. Kreia, a.k.a. Darth Treya. So this bum, is a, bum, bum. <laughs> a character introduced in KOTOR 2. So don't worry, we will get to OG KOTOR in just a moment here. But Kreia is uh, an elderly, human, Force-sensitive character who accompanies the player throughout KOTOR 2 and I think is just easily the most captivating character mm-hmm. in this game. And she is a, a former Jedi historian, kind of a, a Jocasta New character who, mm. who wears Jedi robes at the beginning of the game, although we later learn that she is secretly also the former Sith Lord, Darth Treya. So while with the Jedi, she was one of the teachers of the future Darth Revan, who we will discuss very soon. And mm-hmm. with the Sith, she tutored two of the antagonists of KOTOR 2, Darth Sion and Darth Nihilus. So she was exiled from both orders. No one wanted Tough her beat. or, or she didn't beat. want them. Yeah. <laughs> And by the time of KOTOR 2, she is just this unaffiliated wildcard who kind of forms a, a force bond with the player character and acts as this enigmatic, mysterious mentor. So she's 
pretty rude. She's dismissive of most people, but she sees great potential in this protagonist and she deeply cares for him in this sort of weird, twisted way. And Mm -hmm. she is blind because her eyes have atrophied from perceiving things solely through the force, which is a kind of a cool twist. And she has a, a wide array of powers. She's telepathic. She has the ability to heal wounds and control animals and foresee the future. And she can wield three lightsabers telekinetically, which is just a, a force Very flex. Unique. It's, it's yes. pretty impressive. Yeah. Amazing. So that's Kreia. She's, uh, it's uh, not overall as well-written and as strong a game as the original KOTOR, but Kreia, I think, holds up to the, the best characters in that franchise. I like how many of the things you just listed are a proto example of something that has since been introduced in a way that feels revelatory, but ultimately isn't. Like force healing is such a big thing right now, right? With seeing Baby Yoda yeah. force heal Mando, Mando. Grief Karga. <laughs> and obviously the way that force healing played such a pivotal role in Rise of Skywalker with Rey and Kylo. You know, we talked about this a lot on the pod already, but Force healing is very representative of the what is canon, what is legends, what is primary canon, what is secondary canon, and how there are all of these examples of how something has been incorporated into some aspect of the story before, even if it's not the specific execution that we ultimately saw on display here. And then, you know, even something like the the wielding the multiple lightsabers, it's one of those things where you see Grievous, who is obviously not a Force-sensitive, but is, you know, trained in the arts of lightsaber wielding, and you're just like, I'm not impressed. Okay, cool, (laughs) you're twirling four lightsabers with your metallic limbs. I see that, and I raise you... Three lightsabers a, wielded telekinetically, yes. my no guy. Hands. It's a it's a great <laughs> point. You know, Kreia probably has, not counting BD, who, uh, the, you know, the future is yet to be written, mm-hmm. probably has the least impact outside of this game mm-hmm. that some of these other characters has. And I, and I think you put your finger on it with her incredible force powers and her ability to telekinetically use lightsabers to kind of use a video game term. She's a little OP, wouldn't you say, Ben? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair. She kind of has every force power that it's possible to have. Um, and force healing is is a very video gamey power yes. that really has only recently shown up in, in other aspects of Star Wars. But you're right. She doesn't really recur in the rest of the expanding universe. She's pretty much one and done. She's allied with the player for most of the game. And then she becomes an antagonist after her heel turn. And then she dies in the final boss battle. Spoilers again. Mm-hmm. And I think even so, though, she's this unique character who really anticipates Anticipate some of the questions that come up in the sequel trilogy about the nature of the Force and yes. whether the Jedi actually know what they're doing and whether they're really on the right path. And she doesn't fit in with the Jedi or the Sith. She just rejects that whole light-dark distinction. She wants to cut everyone off from the Force, which would either end the Force <laughs> or end all life, and she's fine with it either way. So she just believes in practicality and personal empowerment more than traditional ideas about good or evil. And so she she kind of breaks the mold of most Star Wars heroes and villains, and she's pretty thought-provoking. I think that this is particularly interesting to think about in, I was going to say 2019. I keep forgetting that we're in a new year. Yeah. Good, good Lord. New year, same stars, same wars, as we've, <laughs> as we've taken to saying. But the idea of nihilism and the role that nihilistic outlooks can or should play in fantasy storytelling was obviously a big dominant narrative in the back half of season eight of Game of Thrones. I think that how 
those kinds of instincts and character tendencies are deployed, you know, varies obviously franchise to franchise. It can be either incredibly deflating or stimulating and thought-provoking depending on the ultimate execution. What I love about it here, and I think that this taps into in many ways one of the defining legacies of Code R and Code R2, is that the willingness to examine that moral ambiguity and the role that moral ambiguity can and does and should play in life is not only important, but I think imperative. And, could, not, could not agree more. You know, mm-hmm. moving beyond the, what is often a moral binary in Star Wars, I think some of the most stimulating moments come when characters are willing to challenge that, whether that's because they find themselves in some sort of circumstance in the context of the moment dictates thinking about things in a different way or because they're, you know, willing to blow it all up, almost doesn't matter having the chance for the characters in the world and thus the people who are accessing the world through a video game controller, film screen, anything, to think about it in those slightly altered terms. I think that's an incredibly important and and rewarding thing. All right. Number five is not a unique character, not paradigm altering, but but a well-known character. Very handsome. Good looking guy. Dash Rendar, who is the the star of Shadows of the Empire, he was technically introduced via a supporting role in the Shadows of the Empire novel, which was part of the same multimedia rollout that preceded the release of the game. But he's best known for being the game's sole playable character. And honestly, he's kind of a cut-rate Han Solo. <laughs> he's, he's a Han Solo ripoff. We can say it. Like Han, <laughs> he is a, just an egotistical, hotshot Corellian pilot. He initially enlists with the Empire. He gets kicked out of the Academy. He becomes a smuggler <laughs> on the Outer Rim. He subsequently fights for the Rebels. So some slight parallels there. You may notice some similarities. But mm-hmm. he plays an important part in Shadows, which is mostly set between the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. He fights at the Battle of Hoth. He tries to track down Boba Fett so he can rescue Han. Classic. He helps save the lives of Luke and Leia. <laughs> and his physical appearance, always handsome, but always varies, handsome. varies somewhat between the games and the books and the comics. But he has these massive pauldrons. His pauldrons are yes. always on point. So he's a, a memorable <laughs> character, not really a, a one that opened up new ground in Star Wars. But I think if you ask most people to name Star Wars video mm-hmm. game characters, he would be one of the first that comes to mind. The pauldrons... Uh... I now only hear that word in the armorer's voice from the Mandalorian, by the way. <laughs> pauldron. A pauldron. I can't do it. I, it's The pauldrons seemed to me at the time a clear nod to the kind of popular comic book style at the time that was uh, kind of brought to the fore by Rob Leefield, who's a comic mm-hmm. book artist, was working in Marvel at the time. And it was this progenitor of like huge gear, <laughs> yes. huge pauldrons, huge gauntlets, like way too many pockets on the bandolier, like all that kind of stuff. And, and Dash Rendar, uh, you know, absolutely felt of a piece with that particular aesthetic movement yeah. uh, of the time. I didn't yes. love the game. I didn't love Shadows of the Empire, even though I wanted to. I didn't love it. But <laughs> yes. he, I, but yeah, I agree with everything you you have said here. Yeah. So uh, he had his own action figure. So he passes yes. the action figure test. Crucial. Got it. <laughs> his ship, the Outrider, which is again like the Millennium Falcon. It's a, a heavily modified Corellian light freighter, but mm-hmm. awesome. it got its own toy too. 
So it passed that test. And the Outrider was drawn by longtime Star Wars designer Doug Chang. And it was digitally inserted into a Mos Eisley scene in the special <laughs> edition of episode four. One of George Lucas's many meddlings, but not one of the, the worst ones. But Does the Outrider <laughs> at any point shout, McClunky! McClunky! <laughs> it does not, at least. But I, I haven't rewatched on Disney Plus to see if yeah. maybe now Don't it rule it so. out. Yeah, yeah, you never know. <laughs> so both the ship and the character are canon currently. So he's not original, really. He played the starring role basically so that the developers would be a little less constrained in their plot than they would with a movie character. But he's still very well known because he had this prominent role in one of the most prominent non-movie projects. And he filled in for Han. I mean, Han was hanging on Jabba's wall during this period. And <laughs> Dash Rendar was there to fill his very identical shoes. I love it. The Paltrons really have like 80s and 90s NFL highlight shoulder pad Incredible. vibes to me. Incredible Paltrons. Like Gigantic. unbelievable Paltrons. How, do you, how did he walk through doors? <laughs> it's, all, it's almost like two of the neck rolls that people now take on airplanes. It really is. It makes him a big target. It's, it's it really does. It really yeah. does. It's not exactly Just a stealthy. <laughs> no. What are you doing, Dash? <laughs> All right. Number four is Starkiller, also yeah. known as The Apprentice, also known as Galen Merrick, although he's named in a novel, not in the game. And mm-hmm. technically, he's a clone of himself in the sequel to the first game. So he is the star of The Force Unleashed and then reappears in the sequel, The Force Unleashed 2. And these aren't among my favorite Star Wars games, but... A lot of work went into the story and the character because The Force Unleashed was envisioned essentially as episode three and a half of uh-huh. the Skywalker saga. And so like Shadows, it was kind of this cross-platform event that George Lucas helped plan for better or worse. So Starkiller's parents were fugitive Jedi and he's raised by Darth Vader after Vader kills his father. So that there are uh-huh. definitely daddy issues here. He becomes <laughs> Vader's secret apprentice. He helps him hunt down Jedi who survived Order 66. And he's extremely well attuned to the Force. He survives his childhood encounter with Vader by just instinctively, reflexively tapping into his power. Almost mm. like Harry mm. Potter, if mm. Harry had grown up to be a mass murderer. <laughs> so Starkiller is, is voiced by... It is our by, choices. I hear it is our choices. <laughs> it is. You know? So Starkiller is voiced by Sam Witwer, who went on to Hell voice yeah. Darth Maul in Rebels and Solo. And Starkiller is his call sign. Speaking because, of Sam Witwer and call signs, by the way, Ben. Yes. Of course, he's crashed down in Battlestar Galactica. Yes, of course, absolutely. And Aiden and being human, another favorite <laughs> of mine. Yeah, we need it. <laughs> Don't want to for so many reasons. I, true. I was about so. to say, I'm not sure if I. I I'm sure the hardcore binge heads are aware of your uh, various <laughs> allusions to Aiden from oh being human. But, uh, <laughs> I love those vampire eyes. <laughs> you've got to be you've got to be across the table from Mal when she mentions him to truly understand her feelings about him. <laughs> How do the kids talk? How do memes work? Bite me in the neck and drain me of my lifeblood, yeah. Sam Whitworth. <laughs> <laughs> so Starkiller is the character's call sign and the developers wanted Lucas to give him a name, a, a title as a this Sith This is Lord. incredible. So they go to Lucas. Classic Luke. They ask for suggestions. <laughs> oh he God. seriously suggests Darth Insanius and Darth Icky. <laughs> 
Iconic Darth ship Icky. from George. Darth Don't let me guess. They hated it. <laughs> Darth Icky the developers is wild pocket shit. vetoed his idea. They were just like, "All right, thanks, George. We'll 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 run that up the flagpole. See if it sticks." It did not. They just stuck with Star Killer, which was smart. So, uh, if anyone had been around to stop him from Ewan Sleazebagano and some of the other terrible <laughs> names of the prequels, no one was there to say no. But in Star Killer, at least they were. So. Anakin Starkiller, of course, was originally <laughs> mm-hmm. supposed to be Luke's name. So yes. Starkiller is basically what Luke might have looked like if he had accepted Vader's offer in The Empire Strikes Back. And he's kind of what Kylo wanted to be. Like, Kylo would be really mm-hmm. jealous of the quality time that yeah. Starkiller spends with <laughs> Studying a, a Vader's knee. Vader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the broken helmet, but the actual almost flesh and blood guy. So at the beginning of the first game, he's just the embodiment of unrestrained, unleashed dark side power, which was pretty mm-hmm. satisfying to see and to control. Like if he were at the Battle of Exegol, he he could have ended it in seconds because in one <laughs> cutscene he famously uses the force to just That's pull right. down a Star Destroyer from the sky and then outruns it like it's the cruise ship from Speed 2. So if you yeah. thought that Long Ray was Ray strong. Was pulling the move. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you thought Ray was strong because she uses the force to blow up a transport that Chewie wasn't actually on, this is size matters not on a massive scale. <laughs> this is a Star Destroyer. So it's because incredible. of his background, he is understandably, I would say, pretty psychologically damaged. And even though he does a lot of evil things, he was indoctrinated by Vader mm-hmm. from childhood. So he didn't really choose to be bad which leaves some room for redemption. And because he is Vader's personal apprentice, Mm -hmm. he's not totally aligned with the Empire. Like Palpatine doesn't really know he exists. He's not supposed to know. And although he eventually turns on Vader and and vice versa, and he sort of has a hand in the origins of the Alliance, he seems to do so partly for his own reasons rather than just as a a complete convert, as a fighter for a, a conventional cause. So these weren't really great games, but it is a very cool character. I love the character. I love thinking about how um, Anakin was just probably constantly measuring Starkiller's performance against Ahsoka's prior achievements. <laughs> you know, it's true. The tail of the tape of the, the apprentice tail of the tape there. And on the Darth Insanius tip, quickly. <laughs> Darth Icky? No love for Darth, Darth, Darth Icky? <laughs> just, I never like to miss an opportunity to, to remind our, our listeners that Darth Vader was almost Darth Wilson or Darth <sighs> Smith. Oh. Never forget. Yeah, Starkiller doesn't call him Sky Guy, so that's that's nice, I guess. But Sky Guy and Snips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, we're up to the top three. Here we go. So now we are getting to Kotor, and yes, we're talking yes. about time. Revan, who is the lead playable character Iconic. in Kotor. He also mm-hmm. appears in the Old Republic. So this is the the playable protagonist of the game. He is a former Jedi who developed a reputation as the Jedi's crusader in the Mandalorian Wars, but eventually he grows frustrated with the Jedi Order, as a lot of Jedi seem to do. They're inactive. He renounces his knighthood. He goes away for a while. He comes back as Darth Revan at the head of a a massive Sith fleet. People are always finding Sith fleets and bringing them to conquer the Republic. So he (laughs) hopes to use this to unite the galaxy. But he is betrayed by his apprentice, Darth Malak, and he is believed to be dead, but he is secretly saved and revived by the Jedi, who wipe his memory and brainwash him to think that he is just a a garden-variety Republic soldier. But no one knows this until 
Revan encounters Malak in the game. Malak is the principal antagonist of the game, and Malak reveals the truth, at which point the player can decide whether to turn evil again or return to the Jedi. So you've been hearing about Revan mm-hmm. all the way through the game. You've been getting little scraps of information, yeah. trying to find out what this character used to be. He has amnesia, and then the bombshell drops, and you find out that he is Revan. You've been Revan the entire time. You it's... are Revan! <laughs> An incredible moment. It really is. It's it, a it's... usual suspect-like reveal that will absolutely compel you to play the game yes. more than one time. Yes. Right. The whole nature of choice and how your decisions dictate the path and the the Kodor franchise is obviously an elemental part of the appeal. But the, this twist really is on par with, with the Vader father reveal as yeah. these, like... Things that you kind of can't believe they were able to conceptualize and then achieve. And also things that whether you experienced it directly firsthand or you absorbed through osmosis or some other, you know, you heard about it some other way. The thrill amazingly, miraculously does not abate, even if you know what you're expecting. Like you can just go call this up on YouTube now and watch the cutscene, And it's like absolutely spine-tingling and chill-inducing. It's just an incredible thing. And and the choice to have the character that you're going to play be this blank slate because of the amnesia is so brilliant because it allows for this setup where you think that everything you do is determining some course that it may or may not ultimately do. And then the other thing I love about it, of course, is one of my favorite things to think about in Star Wars is like anytime we get a, are we sure the Jedi are good kind mm. of moment, you know, like the morality on a play on that side of it is just as fascinating to think about as everything that Revan or Malak or any other character in the game, we're going to get to another one momentarily are yes. doing. And then, of course, you have the just the fucking like Malak mouth guard aspect of this where... <laughs> Again, the power of the moment in the reveal is so seismic that somehow the fact that a guy with, like, his night braces in is delivering it to you is not in any way <laughs> diminishing the impact. Just a marvelous achievement. Yeah. KOTOR, you know, you can't say enough about it. I didn't play Baldur's Gate, but KOTOR was the game that really put Bioware on the map for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, and really established them as a leader in the RPG space and a leader in understanding how to write video games in a compelling way. In a like truly write compelling storylines that as a player you just could not wait to move through. And of course they would realize that with the Mass Effect series which came out a few years after this. But yeah. Incredible best in class writing. And to do it in an IP like Star Wars, it, it mm-hmm. just elevated it to a really 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 special place. And I think still is influential in the sense of this is how you work in established IP. This is how you can do it in a really creative and interesting way and tell a a fresh story in a galaxy that people, you know, at least think they know very well. Right. How can you create something that feels fresh and new, but also feels totally of a piece with the thing that people already love and expect? That's like one of the fundamental questions that faces anyone trying to do anything in Star Wars. And the other thing that this character and the franchise as a whole do so brilliantly is like tap into that choice versus destiny idea. Mm. You know, with Revan in particular, the idea that other people around him know this thing, but he Mm -hmm. doesn't. And he is deprived this access to this fundamental truth about who he is. Do the choices that you make matter? If other people are pulling your strings all the time, 
The answer is ultimately yes, but it's a fascinating examination of how the quote-unquote destiny, whether that's handed down by prophecy or some sort of cosmic dictate or just the way that other people, mm. other other beings are trying to manipulate you and leverage you in some way for their agenda and their gain. It's just a – that's like a heady, heavy idea and the game makes you think about it consistently yeah, while also just having so much fun. Your, your choices really, really matter. It was just a legitimately mic drop moment. It changes your perception of your avatar in the game. It changes your perception of all the characters who've been in your party the whole time because maybe they've known things about you that you didn't know. It was just shocking. As you said, it was the closest equivalent to the I am your father bombshell. And really, if you compare this to like the Ray reveal that she's a Palpatine, (laughs) that just, did that surprise anyone? We don't have to get (laughs) into that and relitigate that here, but I'm just saying no one was upset about this. This was just universally approved. This was like the water cooler moment of Mm -hmm. gaming in 2003. And Revan- He did get his own action figure, passes the test. He was (laughs) supposed to be restored to canon by a Clone Wars episode in season three, but he was cut late in production. He's in a deleted scene, I believe. But just recently, he was seemingly restored to canon by Mm -hmm. the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary, which explains that one of the legions of Palpatine's minions in the movie is named after Revan. So that opens up the possibility that if Disney decides to go back in time mm-hmm. with future IP, that Revan could be featured in a future film. So that's exciting. Woo! Yeah. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> all right. Number two, going back to KOTOR and just uh, shouts to all the KOTOR characters that we cannot cover here. If you are a fan of Bastila yes. or Jolie or Mission or Zalbar or Malak or Candorous, I feel your pain, but we, we just don't have <laughs> spots for all of them. But we did have a spot for the best hk47 who is introduced in kotor (laughs) he comes back in kotor 2 he's brought back due to popular demand in galaxies and the old republic and hk47 like revan doesn't really know who he is and what his backstory is for much of Mm -hmm. kotor because he was constructed by revan to assassinate political opponents and jedi but his memory was wiped so he doesn't recognize revan when he encounters him in kotor but He retains his core self, which is essentially a love of violence and a deep sense of superiority. So he looks like a a protocol droid. He can pass for one, which he uses to his advantage. But he is just (laughs) a sarcastic, disdainful, lethal, bitter, and yet beloved hunter-killer droid. He's like Marvin the Paranoid Android, just as a a homicidal (laughs) maniac. And he is scornful of all life forms. He resents even calling his master master, although he sort of <laughs> respects Revan in a way because like they're both real sadistic killers and they recognize that in each other. But he is the most dark side aligned member of your party in KOTOR. Mm-hmm. And of course, he has a very distinctive speech pattern. So he prefaces his statements with a classification of what he's about to say. So he'll start off by saying query or mockery or retraction. <laughs> and he calls all organics meat bags, especially humans. Incredible. He mostly Insulting. wields a blaster rifle, <laughs> but he can use a, a wide array of weapons. He has some technical and mechanical skills. And I mean, he, so many memorable quotes. But for me, I like the fact that he defines love as knowing your target, putting them in your targeting reticule, and together achieving a singular purpose against statistically long odds. I mean, 
It sounds right to me. It also sounds like the log line for a new Black Mirror episode that I, for one, am ready to watch. Yes. <laughs> I love the the sassy humor and the fact that, like, some of the, some of the most satisfying Star Wars characters are the assholes who you love to A hundred percent. The shit talkers. Yeah. And, you know, Ben, you're going to talk about this more in a second, but, like, the evolution of droid characters in Star Wars, we've seen so much of that mm-hmm. sass come through with with characters we ultimately think of as good or who have been reprogrammed to be good in, right. in you know, one case. But whether you're thinking of Mr. Bones or L3 and mm-hmm. K2, there are just so many examples of characters who had some level of this ferocity and also this real, like, personality and an identity and the fact that a character who is like a bad guy you know yeah. i don't want to be mean but like hk is like i'm not a great not a great guy <laughs> is still someone you want to spend all this I, time with i think it's <laughs> amazing I, part of what i think the appeal is is that you know droids are uh, looked down upon looked askance upon throughout the galaxy and certainly at this particular time in the galaxy's history that's true and unlike say l3 who is a fervent apostle for droid equality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The liberation. HK is a droid supremacist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And I I just, I love it. I really appreciate his militant bias against (laughs) biological creatures. He's, forget merely being on par Mm -hmm. with the rest of the creatures in the galaxy. HK would have you know that he is superior. And he has a point. Because he kind of he is. Has a point. He's smarter. Yeah. He's deadlier. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, we got a taste of this, I guess, with Eve ninety nine, Jabba's yes. torture mm-hmm. droid in Jedi. Yes, that was sort of the first sadistic droid. But we just got a glimpse of of that droid. Whereas we spend hours and hours mm-hmm. with HK, and they're just lines and lines and lines of dialogue. You get to know him really well, and he's just one of the funniest, most original, most quotable characters in all of Star Wars. So. As you said, I I think he either directly or indirectly inspired some of the droids we've seen during the Disney era. And I think just HK and the Revan reveal just they really represent the potential of Bioware's writing and character creation applied to this pre-existing Star Wars universe. So it was just so satisfying at the time for this character to enter what was then the canon. I think HK is also an interesting droid in particular, but really character in general for thinking about like nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. and thinking about the role of AI and what level of sentience is influenced by a like innate personality and characteristics by the experiences that that droid and character undergo versus some sort Mm. of inherent programming. And with, especially with the, the role that the memory wipes play for HK, you know, what does HK have access to at any given moment about his own experience and who he is and then what is kind of just core to the being, what has been programmed into him either by code or by the things that he is asked to do? And then what is there like a a real almost lust for on his part? I love thinking about that. I think he's one of the, the best examples of a, yes. a character that allows you to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. And there is a part of his arc where he gets reprogrammed with this pacifistic module. So he yep. no longer wants to kill. It's, it's almost right. like foreshadowing IG-11 in Mandalorian. Yes. Except that in his case, it doesn't really stick. It's just too hardwired. His bloodlust, you can't really erase it. He just doesn't feel like himself anymore. Never took to the life of a nurse droid. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. We have come to the top character. Number one character in all of Star Wars video games. This is a no-brainer. I think so. Kyle Katarn. 
So it's no brainer. Kyle Katarn, just the the trailblazer, the man who did yeah. it all. Introduced in Dark Forces, then became the star of all the Jedi Knight games, Lethal Alliance. He was probably in as many big Star Wars games as anyone and was mm-hmm. just really a, a precedent-setting character. So he's kind of like what you would get if you crossed Luke with Han. So right. Luke was originally supposed to be the playable character in Dark Forces. And then again, they figured, let's use a, a fictional character so we don't have to be bound by what we know Luke mm-hmm. does or doesn't do. But he does almost everything an anti-hero or a hero in Star Wars can do. He just he checks every box. He joins the Empire. Then he works as a mercenary with a Corellian light freighter and a smuggler sidekick. Then he operates as a, <laughs> a rebel spy there. <laughs> and an agent. Then he becomes a Jedi and a Jedi master and a council member. I mean, that's all of it. That's like the Star Wars EGOT. He just did everything you can possibly do. And I think he foreshadowed a lot of the developments from the Disney movies because Definitely. You know, yep. stealing the Death Star plans, Kyle Katarn and his associate Jan Ors, who's a cool character in her own right, did that decades before Cassian and, and Jin do it in Rogue One. He defects from the Empire. He joins the good guys and then he discovers that he's force sensitive. Katarn did that decades before Finn. He cuts himself off from the Force, only to find that he can do more good if he opens himself back up to the Force again. He did that decades before Luke in The Last Jedi. Uh So he really was sort of like the test case for all of these things that became part of the movies later on. And I think he was maybe more interesting as the original rogue than he was later on as a Jedi with this kind of boring beard. But (laughs) hold on a second. (laughs) Not a bad beard. beard. The beard is great. You always like the beard. Yeah, the beard is the one way that he has a little Obi-Wan in him. Okay. (laughs) I love the beard. I will not I will not stand by and and allow the beard slander on this podcast. But even as a Jedi he balances light and dark, kind of like we were talking about with Kreia. He he balances right. these binary things in a way that differs from that depiction. So mm-hmm. in Jedi Knight, you could send him down a dark path or a light path, but by Jedi Outcasts, both could kind of coexist and he would have powers that sort of pulled from both branches of that spectrum. So he really did it all. And also his ship, incredibly, is called the Moldy Crow, which is one of the best Star Wars spaceship names. There is a real like quirkiness and yeah. injection of, you know, maybe the opposite of ambiance. I don't but... know if that means crows are canon in Star Wars, but anyway, moldy crow. <laughs> so just, I mean, considering what we just talked about, how his arc anticipated all these future events and his standing in the old expanded universe. Yes, he had yes. an action figure. He had an actor who played him in these slightly cheesy full motion video cutscenes in the 90s. And he appeared in a, a bunch <laughs> of the books. And I think he's arguably the most significant character who is not currently canon. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agree. yeah. And he's just a pivotal figure in the history of Star Wars video games because he came before most of these other characters or all of these other characters that we've been talking about. And I think his popularity proved that the games could really introduce these original breakout characters who could kind of stand on their own and not just be either boring blank slates or People from the movies that were just populating the games like Dark Forces demonstrated that Star Wars video games could really tell compelling standalone stories that didn't really tie into the movies at all. Mm -hmm. So bring back Kyle Katarn. He's not currently canon, but his legacy lives on nonetheless. The list of 
iconic, essential characters who are not in current canon, even just being on that list is an achievement. And being in the running for the top spot with some of the other figures who fans just basically wait in in desperation to see brought into the canon anew, that is a real testament to the lasting impact that he has and the place that he has in in the hearts of so many Star Wars fans. Yes. Handsome as well, by the way. (laughs) It's important. Just for what it's worth. (laughs) Just for what it's worth. (laughs) Ben, that was wonderful. My pleasure. I wake up every day hoping someone will ask me to talk about Star Wars video games, and surprisingly, it doesn't usually happen, but today it did. Well... Listen, this just shows you that anything is possible and that if you make the right choices, BioWare will have coded something into your (laughs) programming and story to ultimately allow you to get to the path that has the outcome that you so desperately seek. So thank you for joining us today. It was really a delight. And say hi to Grum for us. She's been here all along, silently. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow, didn't make a peep. No, she's well That's behaved. incredible. She's, uh, she's the beady one to my Cal Kestis. Aww. Aww. <laughs> That's so sweet. Who's she going to violently shock one day? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully somebody very, very evil. <laughs> Maybe a mugger. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah, oh I'm, I'm honored. I'm flattered that you guys asked me to do this. When I get a message from you two giving me the, the Darth Vader, we would be honored if you would join us. <sighs> I cannot yes, decline. Right. And honestly, ever <laughs> since the, the binge mode fans at my own wedding started snapping <laughs> paparazzi pics of you two oh, on God. my big day, I've dreamed of appearing on binge mode myself just God. to snatch some of that reflected <laughs> fame. So dreams can come true. Well, it was lovely to be at your wedding and, you know, let the record state that you would never have known that we were two minutes late if they hadn't been filming. <laughs> That's so. co- absolutely correct. <laughs> on <Yeah>. camera. <laughs> Snitched on by that. That was a tough yeah. moment yeah. for us. But this was our comeback. Yes. That's right. We had each other. That's how we won. And I just want to say it was beautiful to be here with the two of you. I know that talking about video games together right. obviously is a shared passion. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Yours. And it was uh, just a delight for me to tag along with you. Yes. So thank you. As Luke once said, no one's ever really gone, including achievement oriented. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, thank guys. you, Ben. Jason. Yeah. There is no truth in the force, but there is truth in you, exile. I love it. <laughs> and that is why I chose you. That's also why we chose today's winner. Every episode, we're going to honor the character, thing, idea, Rally the troops, advance the cause. And today, the winner of our Medal of Bravery is... Of course. I don't know how it could be anything else. KOTOR. It would have to be. This is a game that came out in the mid-2000s. I personally know several people who are playing this game now regularly for like their... Dozenth playthrough? Who even knows? It's BioWare's Knights of the Old Republic and its sequel, Obsidian Entertainment's KOTOR 2, The Sith Lords. Not enough talk about how Obsidian just came in and had to do this in like barely more than a year. I mean, that's (laughs) honestly crazy stuff. Luckily, like the engine existed, but yeah, a lot. These, more than any other Star Wars video game franchises, have become a force unto themselves, considered by many, many, the greatest Star Wars games ever made, and certainly in the running if another game happens to claim your personal spot. Yes. And both RPG games are absolutely adored for their story scope, their iconic characters, like some of the ones we just explored with Ben and many others, their innovation, but also really specifically 
for their complex mm-hmm. examination of morality. And as we talked about with Ben, Kodor's Revan reveal is an all-time Star Wars and really storytelling achievement. It's an Empire-esque twist. In general, crafting a game around the users, the players' choices remains a master stroke that led to, even by the standard of Star Wars games, a level of investment and stakes that have been hard to match. And as you heard Jason talk about earlier, citing Mass Effect, have spawned this entire genre of immersive gaming. Disney's decanonization of KOTOR, along with all the other EU stuff, has in some ways counterintuitively increased KOTOR's yeah. Q-score as it's a near constant source of speculation yes. regarding which character, which element, which thing will be reintroduced into canon and mm-hmm. how that might happen and through which particular medium now that we're in the Disney Plus era. How will this happen? When will it happen? It seems sure that at some point, some aspect of KOTOR will Enter the cannon. And as we noted earlier, thanks to that Revan Legion trooper name drop in the recently published Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, the visual dictionary, it seems like Revan may in fact be canon now. Waiting on official yeah. <laughs> confirmation and acknowledgement of that, but it's certainly the widely held interpretation of what that means and what has occurred. Regardless. KOTOR could soon enter the Disney canon via the silver screen, as it's been a source of frequent recent rumors from the short-lived Benioff and Weiss project and beyond. Mm-hmm. Miss you guys. What are you guys up to? Indeed. In May 2019, BuzzFeed's Kate Arthur reported that Leta Calagridis was beginning work on a script for a film based on KOTOR. While oh, Lucasfilm yeah. did not confirm that report, Kathleen Kennedy had told MTV News at April's Star Wars celebration that, quote, yes, we are developing something to look at. Benioff and Weiss, of course, exited the project after these reports. And even absent definitive clarity on the film front, because, you know, of course, even if we do actually get that script developed, that doesn't guarantee Correct. the final film product. Kodor has enjoyed an incredibly vibrant post-decanonization life with a really active, really inventive and imaginative and highly, highly, highly passionate community. There are a million examples that we can point to 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 show that. Just one of them is the the modders who have spent a decade and a half updating Kodor 2 because that, that masterpiece, which is cherished, was never finished. I love it. Rushed through... Because of the production time frame, those games, of course, one and two ultimately inspired the Old Republic MMORPG experience. Not for everyone. I never got into it. Loved by many, not for everyone. I think one of the things that's interesting to to talk about and think about with the prospect of a Kodor film, and we both really, really, really want to see Knights of the Old Republic explored in a film or a show. Can they bring the twist through in that format? It would be very usual suspects-esque. I mean, you would have to... The power of the twist is that you end up, as Ben noted, you end up interrogating everyone around you and also the things that you have done Mm -hmm. within the game. If they could figure out a way to do it, it would be fucking massive. Yeah. Let's zip back 4,000 years and really have fun with something that is going to be new to a wide swath of people, but is absolutely precious to so many others. It seems like a very rich text. I hope we get it. All right, friends. Fear shall spread, and the galaxy will remember who is in control. Just as we keep telling Isaac Lee and Zach Graham, our indispensable producer and researcher. And thanks to Ben Lindbergh for joining us today as well. 
We hope that you all have as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder and continue to explore the galaxy with us. And that you'll join us again next time as Binge Mode Star Wars continues its adventure. Do I see a little cartoon Obi-Wan from Clone Wars? <laughs> oh, God, here, here we go. Not so distant future. Until then, we have the entire galaxy in front of us. And yet for the first time in our lives, we don't know where to go. Query, why am I not the winner of this episode? Well, HK, KOTOR is the winner, so like, in a sense, you did win. Observation, that's absolute bullshit, you disgusting bag of meat. Okay, wow, that's a lot. Observation, I am the best part of KOTOR, and therefore I should be the winner. HK, I, I can only apologize, I'm sorry. <laughs>